Welcome back to the Second Act Podcast. As we take a little bit of time off this summer, we are going back and trying to find people who we thought were interesting the first time around. We thought you may have missed, you maybe want to hear again. And this week's guest, we're bringing Saskatchewan recording artist Jeff Stryker. Jeff has an incredible story of growing up in a small Saskatchewan town, being very musical, knowing that he probably wasn't in the hotbed of music, so he did what most people do. He got himself a job. He got himself a job in Toronto uh, in a, in, with an advertising agency, I believe, marketing agency. And he just kept playing and honing his craft until one day he knew he had to take a chance, and what a chance it was. And he's been a hugely successful recording artist. And uh, he talks about what goes into that life, some of the lessons that he's learned, and basically what it's like to just never give up on your dream. It's an incredible story from a guy who we have a little bit of backstory, as you'll hear in the in the pod, but uh, it, it's so much fun to sit back and, and just let somebody who's got an incredible story take the reins in a way that only a singer-songwriter knows how. So please, without any further ado, welcome Jeffrey Stryker. The Second Act podcast is brought to you by Chin Whiskers Beard and Hair Care. Chin Whiskers is an affordable, Canadian-made, 100% natural men's grooming line it's available at your local Tommy Guns Original Barbershop, Amazon, or at chinwhiskers.ca. Welcome to the Second Act Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Act Podcast, and oh boy, today do we got a show for you. It is um, one that I, I kind of always had in the back of my head, trying to think of people that could come on the the second act pod and and talk about a true second act. Jeffrey Stryker is a Saskatchewan-born musician, singer-songwriter who has roots in in my life as far back as I can remember. I actually grew up uh, 25 miles from town, one mile away from his uncle. Um, his, uh, his cousin was the best man at my wedding. He's been my best friend for, for as long back as I can remember. And his, his brother and sister I've known for years and, and Jeffrey was out doing these, turning, you know, singer songwriter into a career. And, uh, I just thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be something if, if a guy like Jeffrey Stryker would take an hour out of his life to sit down with us and talk a little bit about what goes into that. And lo and behold, all you got to do is ask. Jeffrey couldn't have been more gracious with his time. Uh, as you'll hear, he's got a pretty great story. Uh, somewhat of a, a prodigy on the piano and, and parlayed that into some pretty amazing things before kind of just going off into regular life, bioengineering degree. Um, he working at Procter & Gamble as a, as a marketing executive, uh, doing all kinds of things that, that don't necessarily translate to to a singer songwriter career but uh you know a number of years ago he finally said if i'm if i'm ever going to do it i'm going to do it now and he put one one step one foot in front of the other and took it one step at a time and turned it into this career and, and an amazing career that it is check out his music it's it's some of it's just the most incredible stuff you've ever heard so without any further ado and and i can't do an introduction uh, any better than he could do himself uh please welcome to the second act podcast Jeffrey Stryker. Thanks for having me, Mr. Kiteley. It's fun to be here. Uh, it's it's just our pleasure to have you. We, we as we talked about a little bit before, um, there's like you know seven degrees of separation, but it's like one one mile of separation really between me and your uncle Doug growing up. So uh, I, it, it's been something that in the back of my mind that I've always thought you know if we could get Jeffrey on and talk a little bit because I know there are. You know, you, you grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan and, and you went and did some other things with your life before you realized that music was your true passion and, and truly your second act. And I, I just think there's a lot of, uh, you know, neat lessons and some some good, you know, people like to listen to this to hear like, you know, somebody out there is doing it, how, you know, they imagine themselves while they're driving to work. How could I do it? And I think there's probably lots of neat stuff in your story to share with the audience. So so we're really happy to have you. I'm I'm excited to be here. Hopefully, I can shed some light on on some of this. <laughs> so, uh, why don't we just kind of go back a little bit, and we'll talk about um, you know young Jeffrey and and the 
the kind of the growing up in rural Saskatchewan, um, finding that spark. And, and, you know, I grew up in rural Saskatchewan. Uh, uh, music was kind of the prerequisite up into a certain point, kind of once you knew hot cross buns on recorder, it was kind of up to you to take the, the mantle and run with it. So, so why don't you run us through that? And, uh, and we can get a little bit of a better idea of, of how that kind of uh, formative part of your life worked. Yes, well, so because my early years, I grew up, I grew up on a grain farm in rural Saskatchewan near a little town called Punishai. And um, my mom was a really gifted piano player. She could play by ear, she could play by note, she was really good. And um, she put my brother, my older brother, myself and my sister, each in sequence into piano lessons with the local piano teacher, Mrs. Young. And that because she, she wanted us to all kick that can and see whether we enjoyed kicking it or not. Like there was, you know, there was no expectation about how far we'd go. She's like, give this a whirl. And it, you know, it, it's the kind of parenting style, which like, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would do it the way she did. She's like, you're going to try this, whether you like it or not, you're going to commit to this for a bit. If you don't like it after that, kick it to the curb. I really liked it. And I, I, from the get go, I practiced uh, more than I probably should have. I practiced yeah. more than the average kid. I, I wanted to impress my teacher. My brother and sister just weren't into it as much, really. You know, like um, Jason, my older brother, quit quite early. My sister kept going a little longer. But I was kind of this weirdo who really wanted to do it. Like, I really wanted to get good at the piano. And I mean, I, I credit, A, my mom for throwing me into those lessons. But B, this local small town music teacher for being there to enable this, right? So, and I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go into all the details, but I mean, I really liked my lessons. So I, 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 I practiced a lot. I progressed through the grades. There was a point when Mrs. Young passed me off to the to Don McTavish in the next town uh, down the highway in Saskatchewan to do some some higher years. And then eventually, for grades 10, 11, and 12, um, I got sent off to the University of Regina to study with a a piano teacher in the Department of Music at the conservatory. To and I studied some really high level stuff. Um, by the time I graduated high school. Um, you know, I'd, I'd had some uh, a licentiate diploma from Trinity College of London, England uh, in classical piano performance under my belt. Um, and a simultaneous realization that I did not want to be a classical piano performer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and, and because of the way I, I guess I'd been exposed to it, I was like, well, that's that. This will be a really good hobby forever and ever. I'll buy a piano after I get a job and can afford one. And uh, I'll play this as a hobby. And off I went to university and studied biosciences. Um, and I should, I should also mention, too, that in the small town, like in that first chapter, the norm for a young boy in a small town was not playing the piano. The norm was playing hockey, of course. Uh, yeah. I really was terrible at hockey, for starters. And I didn't even like it. So I, I was, you know, I, there I was off playing my piano when everyone else was kind of playing hockey. So it was like, you know, it was, it wasn't weird or anything. It was just like, it was, I think it was kind of like, what's this guy doing? You know, like it was, yeah. it's, it's not normal, you know? Well, and I can appreciate that as, as you're telling that, I'm thinking like, you know, uh, we had a friend growing up who, who played piano. He didn't play hockey and, and he played the piano and, and there was like that tipping point where it was like, haha, you don't play hockey and you play piano. And then uh, we all got older and you go to a, like a wedding, uh, recital or uh, pardon me a, a wedding um, reception and and he knows how to play and everyone's standing around watching and he hadn't played in years but it's all of a sudden it's really cool so <laughs> so there is that tipping point right and and it's interesting to hear kind of somebody who stuck with it all the way through and then got to the end and was like okay that's that's great and that's cool but I'll do something different um, but the, the the thing that came out of that for me were, were you like a bit of a, a kind of a natural at it or did you just work that hard to get that good well i i think i was a, a bit of a natural at it i mean i a mom mom seemed to recall that i was picking out tunes by ear on the piano before i went into my lessons and and i mean my uh like i i i i mean I, I it's a bit of you're, you're kind of asking me to brag or not brag here but i mean so so I'll, i guess I'll, I'll choose to brag a little which is uncomfortable but i mean but the reality was i i, I mean i my, my teacher's we're telling my parents in the background, I learned way later, they're like, this guy's really good. Like we yeah. gotta do something with him, you know? So, so I, so I mean, I, I did, thank God I didn't know that at the time, right? Cause I was just plugging along doing my own thing and, and uh, you know, really, really genuinely enjoying it. And, and the reason I emphasize those words is that when I like, cause I then kicked it to the curb as we got to in the story there and we're gonna come back to this. But when I refound it the, and have stuck with it, 
the only reason one can have music as their career is if you genuinely love it. Because if you're doing it for the money or doing it for any other reason, like go be an investment banker or something, God help you. Because like, it's not, this is not a, a ticket to print money. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's something you love. And, and yeah. I have said before, and I'll say again, you don't pick music as a career. It picks you. And uh, that's what happened to me. Yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of the, as, as it's been become easier over the years to put for people to put material out I think the perception that as soon as you're a recording artist, you just have this mansion in Hollywood. I think that's been debunked. Like people understand how hard people have to work to make a living at this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, no, go ahead, go ahead. So, so like you're uh, doing all this musical work to to this point, and then you do the. I'm assuming the natural segue into biosciences. I imagine biosciences is right full of of you know classical piano players of the highest highest order. Um, what, what, what was in that decision? Were you, were you also very interested in, in sciences and, and that kind of stuff as well? Or were you, was it just kind of, this is something that holds my interest and I'm going to go and do this for a little while and see what shakes out with it. I mean, really it was, it was, it started just as a general arts and science degree. And, and I just, I really, really enjoyed my biology classes and my, the bio stuff I was oh, taking. Yeah. And, and I sort of like kind of by default ended up with a, with a bi biosciences degree. And I mean, I, I did uh, in full disclosure, I thought I wanted to be a dentist, which is, which is hilarious. And then, and then like <laughs> I, about two years in, I was like, what the hell would I want to be a dentist for? Like, like sticking my fingers in people's mouths all day. Like it to like some people that's their cup of tea. I was like, I could not like when I thought about it, I was like, that sounds excruciating, so I, yeah. don't, I don't want to do that. But then I got this, so, you know, fast forwarding through university, I got my bio degree with, with honors, I might add, but my third, my third year I did, I did in Ireland, uh, in, in Northern Ireland, in Belfast with a, an interesting scholarship program. And um, that opened my eyes a lot too. Like just that when you, when you go to another country and, and like your, your mind just opens in different ways. And I came back and, and, and did finish my degree and then, you know, and then got this, you know, biology degree, and then had a very brief, brief time working in biology research and didn't really like it. And, uh, and then literally saw a job posting back in the days when they were on paper on the bulletin board at the University of Saskatchewan. And it was a job for marketing in Toronto. And I applied and I didn't even know what I was applying to, Gord. I was like, what the, what is this? And it said, any degree can apply. And I was like, I've got any degree. I'm going <laughs> to apply. So I, I applied. And then like, I did this interview on the campus and then I get this phone call saying, we'd like to fly you to Toronto for an interview. And the, the, the company was this amazing company called Procter and Gamble. They're like, they're, they're huge. And uh, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll like, here's the like plane ticket pop and I arrived. And I was like, off I went. And then I, then I get an interview there and I got the job and I was like, what the hell am I going to be doing? I had no idea. Anyway, I pretended for the longest time, but I, I ultimately did figure it out. But the reason this is important is this job took me to Toronto where I did enjoy the job. Like a marketing job is fairly creative. Um, and I do have a, I'm a I have a right oriented brain. Like it, it sort of, it's more comfortable in creative land than logicking land, um, though, though it can do both. Um, yeah. And uh and then, but in Toronto, I discovered this singer-songwriter scene. So in the evenings, if I'd be out at pubs or bars with friends, you know, some would be going to clubs and shaking a leg and dancing to the to the, to the to the beats, and I'd be migrating to bars where there'd be the I discovered all these live musicians, and they were singing songs they'd written that no one had ever heard of, no one was ever going to hear them, or very few, but they were good. And I was like, yeah. "What is this?" And it was like someone showed me how to make crack in my bathtub. I was like, "What? What?" What is this? So I was like, oh my God. So I, so I discovered this and I was like, uh-oh, like here's an avenue of music I never even considered. Um, so it was like, it was quite a discovery. So, you know, so had I not taken that meandering over to Toronto to be, to see this really big singer songwriter scene, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have impacted me the way in any other way. Like it really left a mark, you know? So did you, at, to that point, had, your musical tastes, like, had, they, had you had any of them affected you in that manner, or did you just like Garth Brooks because that's what was on the radio, and and you liked you know Nickelback or whatever at that time, like whatever was on the radio, you just appreciated music, and this really spoke to you, or was it more of a you were kind of looking for that thing, and then you stumbled across this? 
No, I mean, I, I love how you presented me with two doors here that I get to pick, but actually it was your door number one. Like that's what it was. And so I, like I literally was kind of a, you know, I really like top 40 pop songs and country songs. And I, and I really did like some Joni Mitchell and some Gordon Lightfoot and some, you know, um, uh, um, Neil Young and, and uh, in Buffy St. Marie. Like I always kind of liked that stuff too. Like some of that folky storytelling music, I always liked it, but I wouldn't really like, you know, stick a record on the player and be like, oh, listen to that. Listen yeah. to that Buffy St. Marie. Like that wasn't me, right? But then, but then I found these people doing this and I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what what, what is this? No one's ever told me about this before, you know? So did you like, would do they, like, how does that work then? Do you, do you kind of, you're obviously very skilled at that and you can see and you're thinking at first you're like, I really like that. And then it, it'll morph into, I could maybe do that. Is there open mics or how does that work to get a, no, you, get a you kick at that? On the head. That's exactly how it happened. And then I just, I discovered these open mic places. And so I was like, well, I'm going to put pen to paper and see what happens. And, you know, I started writing a few tunes. They weren't, they were honestly, they were not very good, but you know, if you go to an open mic, some are good, some are bad, but that's, that's an open mic. And so, you know, I would sing my horrible songs and then, um, uh, but you know, over time, they got a bit better, you know. And then I then you notice a few people coming back the next, you know, week or two weeks later to hear you again. And, and then it's just it's and they come up to you and say, oh, that song you wrote, you know, I really like this line. Or you know, they say these sorts of things. And then, and and, and it's this very tiny nugget of you feeling like something might be working that that is encouragement. You know, it's it's literally just it's it's wonderful encouragement. It's reinforcement to keep you going. And so I did this for a while, to the point where. Um, I was gigging around the sort of the Toronto area in various places, the venues and singer songwriter um, bars and establishments. And, and but then I did realize like the, the big the big thing here is time. And a lot of people who, who probably listen to your podcast and, and, and contemplate a change, like a big thing is time. And we only have so much time. There's only so many hours in a day. And if you have a job job, which I had, there's only so many hours left over to do the thing you've discovered you're actually really passionate about. And so I got to a point where I was like, I am maxing out my 24 hours, getting very little sleep. I have to see if I can do less of this job. And thankfully the job let me go halftime. And so, oh, wow. and I, I was transparent with them. I said, look, I'm not going to work at the competitor. Like I literally have discovered this musical passion. They knew it. Like I sang at work sometimes. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know. And so they're like, yeah, knock yourself out. And they, I knew, I know they thought he's going to try this out. It's not going to work out. And he'll come back full time and that'll be that. But I, so I went half time. And then with more time to put into my passion, lo and behold, the result was more results, right? Invest yeah. more time, get more results. And then, and then you're up against the big wall. Like the, uh-oh, so so now what? Because I've, the, the job is a regular paycheck and then there's a pension burbling away in the background. There's stock options, there's benefits. People clean your teeth for free. You get massages. It's like, it's like what's even going on here? And then you're like, I want to kick this to the curb and drive a Mazda across Saskatchewan and sing in backyards. Like, well, yeah. it's like, what are you doing, you know? So the, it, how old were you when that all started? Like, because the the time piece that you mentioned, kind of, you only have so much time. And on the micro scale, you're talking days or hours in the day. But on the macro scale, you're saying I'm 32 years old, and I know what I'm passionate about and why I want to be on this earth. Yeah. And you only have so much time. So so at what age were you kind of making these, um, these realizations, and then obviously eventually having to make decisions? Good question. I'm so horrible with timelines because I. I literally have, I forget about time, but if I, I can do the backwards math here. I was about 30. I was about, th yeah. Yeah, I was about 30, 31, somewhere there. And, um, and you know, um, like certain, like, but a lot of people start, start doing make, like making their music and, and start getting their stuff out there when they're like 20, you know? So like part of me was kind of like, have I like, have I waited too long? Like, and, and like, and what I've since learned is like, no one can answer that question for you. <laughs> like, like, there's no, you can't Google that. <laughs> so, but I mean, to, 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 to push it ahead and tell me if I'm moving along this timeline too fast or not, but there was a very significant event that happened in Toronto that made me cut the cord of the job and leap headfirst into it. And I, and I, and I, I talk about this, um, a fair bit um like like you know if people ask about it and what it was was right so right around this time i'm like i'm half time in the job <clears throat> what am i going to do i really know my passion is to go do something in music and give that give that a, a you know a college try like put everything i have into that 
but how do I let go of the security of this job? And like people I ran this past, like, you know, I, I, I workshopped the idea past them and they were like, you're insane. Yeah, like, don't would ever be like, do that. Wait till you're 65, retire, then go do this music thing. Like in the most belittling way, you know, it's like, like screw you. So what happened was my, my grandma, uh, who you probably recall from the town where you grew up, Grandma Jean, and my mom and my aunt visited me in Toronto or visited Toronto. And we all trucked out to Etobicoke to see my grandma's sister, Mary, who was old at the time and who was my great aunt. And she had Alzheimer's or d dementia, but I think it was you'd call it Alzheimer's. And um, that day, I will never forget because we walked into the home and said hello to her. And grandma turned and said, she doesn't know who I am anymore. And it hit me like a brick wall that I was like, this woman's sister doesn't know who she is. And like, so that happened. But then where my mind went to was like, she didn't get to pick that. That just happened to her. And frankly, this could happen to me. This could happen to Gord Kitely. This could happen to anybody. And so if that's a possible end of the line, which it is, like, like I was, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to tap dance around this. Like we should all ponder the notion that the end of our line might be dementia lying in a bed slobbering, not knowing who we are. This, that might be it because that's what hit me that day. And if that is the case, and it's possibly the case, then I want to make sure I enjoy each breathing moment on route to whatever the end is. Right. And I walked out of the home that day and called my boss on my cell phone and quit my job. So, and, and I don't want you to read too much into this question, but I have to ask, were you any good at the marketing job? Like, were you, were you like, was this something that you saw like a long future in all the steps that that corporate kind of gig, they dangle in front of you to make it worthwhile to stay for 25 years? Or was this always just going to be something that you were kind of, Hey, you know, I'm doing this thing. I got to move to Toronto. Oh, I mean, no, I was pretty good at it. Like, you know, oh, okay. honestly, like, yeah. I got, I got promoted kind of quickly and and they were really god god bless them they were going through great pretty great efforts to keep me like like oh, they were okay. like thank god this guy's leaving like it wasn't it wasn't that at all you know they were sort of creating this new position to try to keep me and i was like ah this is like sort oh, of okay. like sophie's choice you know like oh my god what do i do i'm standing by the train and what do i do but um but really the 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 encounter that day in the home uh, the lodge was a home with great aunt Mary. That was, that was a life changer. And, and I'm, I'm a firm believer after that. And I've had other moments in my life that are similar that I think we were all thrown signals. You can, you can insert in your own story where you think signals are thrown from, it doesn't really matter, but we are all thrown signals. And the, and, and so the signals land on us. That's, that's, that's that, but you have a choice. You can acknowledge the signal and act on it or ignore it. And I actually think we all know when we receive signals and we all cross a bridge. We all acknowledge them or don't. And that that literally helps to define the path that we're on. Um, and I, I totally changed my course. I totally changed my course. And I was like, I'm going to, that's it. Called my boss. So I was like, sorry, I'm done. And uh, and I then I popped headfirst into music. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's an important um, distinction for people that are listening here's a guy who was who who'd found that thing and he was good at it and the company was good and all, everything was good and you walked away from it because of this you know you, you you got this sign this signal and you were able to acknowledge it because it's you know i've talked to people who find this second path when it's not their decision when something happens in their life that is thrust upon them and and then through that it's 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 like a lemon lemonade out of lemons type deal yeah yeah this wasn't that for you. You were you had champagne. You just made a mimosa out of it because you got some <laughs> orange juice, right? So, well, I mean, but let, let, let's let's be clear. Like, obviously, I'm not gonna paint at all, Rosie. Like, to, to your point, though, there was something not quite right about the job, or I, I would have kept with it, kept it, right? Like, what I realized is my heart was obviously going to be way more full, and I'd be a way happier person pursuing music than I figured I would be staying in the job. Now the job had a lot of things about it that were great, but like, I guess call me a little, maybe like I'm, I went about this too emotionally. I don't know. But my sense was like the grand prize in life isn't a billion dollars. The grand prize is happiness. And so that's what I was chasing. Uh, Cause you know, I was, I would say, you know, if there's a scale, I'd say I was quite content in the job. Was right. I, did I wake up loving every day? No. Uh, and I figured that that was possible. Well, and that's that's 
like that's uh you're being very honest with yourself to be able to say that all these years later um to you know because you've had some success and it looks like it was a it was a, a not an easy decision but the decision in hindsight went pretty well um to go back and say yeah you know what it was pretty good and i'd it'd still be pretty good if i'd stuck it out um that's some honesty that not you know not a lot of people are willing to they're always you know we want to look ahead it's a survivorship bias right you look at the the things that you've done well and and yeah that's what you want to focus on so yeah yeah no it's true Um, but i I mean so yeah so so there so there i was like i'd hopped into it and i was like okay I, i quit the job cut the cord and I'm like, okay, here I am now today, like full-time musician. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> right. So I have to find it, you know? And that's that's actually the next kind of piece is like, so you wake up one morning and you've, you've you know, made the decision. You've quit your job, uh, you know, good job. That's kind of why, why you went to college was to get some kind of a career like that to, to pay for your piano that you promised yourself you were going to buy. And um, how do, how did like, so you just go down and get being a musician for dummies from the Coles or how, what, like, how does that, the next steps look, do you get a manager and a, a, a somebody to help you with that? Or is, are you out there figuring it out on your own? Well, I mean, part, part of this discovery of this singer songwriter scene that I found in Toronto and a lot of the people I spoke with in that community re- really made me realize that there was, there's this tier in the music business that a lot of general music consumers, music lovers don't really know that exists. And it's a tier where you can actually earn a pretty good living, although it requires an awful lot of work, um, but not be a superstar, but still earn a really good living through being a, a musician, a songwriter and a live performer. And so uh, in talking to them, I'd realized that a lot of them got into it via just doing DIYing it at first, right? So I was my so my out of the gate was DIY. So I, I literally went and made my first little uh, CD. Uh, it was called Songs from Highway 15, and it was songs about people and places in Saskatchewan. And my marketing brain told me that if I had a record of songs about people and places in Saskatchewan, the probably the best place that record was going to be received. <laughs> was probably Saskatchewan. Yeah. So, so back I came, I uh, put all my stuff in two storage containers in this big warehouse out in the west end of Toronto and just like came in a suitcase out to out to Regina and stayed in a friend's basement. And, um, you know, I actually stayed with my parents for six months. It was dreadful. Don't ever oh, do yeah. that. That sounds, to quote you, excruciating. <laughs> it was horrible. Don't do that. Anyway, then I moved over to Natasha's basement. She was great. And, um, Actually, I actually had this really fun stint uh, for about two months <laughs> sharing an apartment with a drag queen in Regina. But that's a separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, but but we'll get you. We'll get that one out of you. But yes, yeah, not on this one. <laughs> but anyway, so you know, then I, so I made and then I, I would just literally go around singing my songs, and I'd cold call people and say, you know, can I can I can I can I sing here? Can I say I would? And yeah. I keep saying, I my phrase was I would sing for the opening of an envelope. <laughs> I would sing. I yeah. would sing anywhere, and you know. The thing I've discovered about the music business is for every big yes you're going to get, there are nine big fat no's along the way. And so you've got to have a thick skin. Um, I also think you probably have to have a thick skin in any entrepreneurial realm. I'm sure you have to have a thick skin as a podcaster. You know, like people people will say no an awful lot. But if, you ha- if you're in it for the right reasons, which is filling your heart. Um, and you think you have something to say, uh, you just got to stick with it. So I, you know, I promised my, I gave myself a year. And for the record, I, I'm, I'm a guy with a podcast. I'm not a pod. Joe Rogan is a podcaster. <laughs> I'm a guy who has a microphone in his basement. <laughs> so thank, thank you. Clarify. <laughs> so, um, I just, you were talking about like songs from highway 15, you're moving back. You, you've got the, uh, you know, I don't know if flexibility is the right word, but you've got the ability to understand where you think these these songs might catch and you want to go there. Do you think, you know, not having this stuff come out when you were 18 or 19, you were able to kind of have the perspective at 30 or 32 to do this, that, that maybe there was a little bit more substance to it than the stuff you might've been doing when you were 18 or 19. And, and do you think that helped you somewhat at all when you were getting started? 
You know, I've actually never contemplated that before. I, but I, I do think you're absolutely right. Uh, that I'm, in fact, you are right. That, absolutely. But there's an, there's another, there's a related thing that popped in my mind as you were asking that question, which actually comes from a, a lady in Toronto who gave me, who she's now a really good friend. But I met her through taking some singing lessons from her because I knew I had to. I, I studied piano forever, but I wasn't really a singer. So I took a couple, I took some lessons from her, and and she said to me quite recently, actually, she said, "Do you think you started?" before you were ready. Like she said, do you think you just threw yourself out on the road singing these songs before you were actually ready? And I was like, you know, the funny thing is if I sat around waiting to be ready, I'd still be waiting. Um, because what is ready? Like, yeah. I, like because the, what I'm doing now, had I not done yesterday, today wouldn't be happening. So like, you know, like the whole thing is this big like sequence of dominoes toppling on each other, you know, like so, 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 to your but so back to your question yeah i really think having a bit of experience under my belt and really knowing i was doing this from my heart the songs that were therefore coming out of me were probably way, had way probably had more integrity they were probably more honest i mean whether they were you know people can pass their judgment whether they think they were good or not but you know they, they certainly had they certainly were more honest and i think they had way more substance yes yeah and that's like that's we see that all the time with 17 year old pop stars singing songs about having a broken heart and you know it, it's just rings so hollow but it's catchy right so yeah yeah so you tap your toe that's uh so so now you're you're like jeffrey striker professional musician and and there's opportunities that you know once you kind of have a name and people you know within the that industry they know you'll be on time they know you're you're you'll give them a professional performance you you know there's all these things and and are you looking around you and, and finding other people in that 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 are like minded and, and putting, you know, opportunities together, recording with each other, um, you know, touring uh, such as it is, or, or is this something that you're fiercely independent and in doing on your own and, and trying to make it kind of on your own, because you have to because this is you've decided to do it this way. It's probably, you know, uh, say, three of the latter and one of the former like i'm i'm a pretty independent person and i've done a lot of this uh, on on my own in terms of like the art of it i have over time and we'll probably get to this a little bit like there's a team built around me now which is great but in terms of like how i approached it i was always like kind of with the, the theme of time in mind i was like do i spend my time like forming uh, like like i don't know like trying to form allegiances in the industry or whatever, or do I just spend my time making the best songs I can and singing them? And I mean, yeah. I think ultimately what the answer is, you got to do a little bit of both, but I really think you have to do way more of the latter. Because at the end of the day, you can sit around or go around and, and go to all the parties, meet all the people and hang out with all the musicians and industry people. But at the end of the day, if you don't have good songs, good luck. You know, so you what you really got to do is work on your craft um so i've did i one i mean i've i've spent a lot of time at that uh, is like i've worked worked really hard on the on the writing part of it and then you know the 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 musicality of of, of the the creations um and the poetry etc um but along the way when you play at festivals and you go to conferences and things of course you do meet people and you for and and very natural you can sort of smell the organic allegiances they just sort of manifest themselves you know and it's if you just sort of keep your eyes open and your wits about you um they're there and uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I've never, I don't really think, think I've thought of this before, but that's kind of how those have happened. Like those partnerships happen when they should happen. There's a few yeah. that I've sort of tried to force, you know, with say a manager that it just really went south. It was just awful. Um, but at the same time, I've had an agent who, and the agency I'm with, I've been with them for like 15 years or something, you know, so, so some of them really were. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the stories you hear, I remember, uh, you know Cypress Hill talking about there's always somebody coming for you. You better save that money. So you, you you have to be leery of the people in that industry because there's somebody that is trying to to take that little bit of whatever that makes you kind of unique and incorporate that into them. And and it's not always homage. Sometimes it's like yoink, you know. And and it's yeah. just interesting to see um, somebody from the inside their perspective on it. And that's that's yes. And somebody who's been as successful as long as you've been. Um, it's clear that you've made some good decisions and, and the, the, the flaws or the, the missteps haven't been fatal. So it's just, it's a unique point of view from, from where you're sitting for us to hear. 
There's certainly, you know, there certainly have been been missteps, but some of the biggest things I've learned along the way are from, you know, are, you know, are from mistakes you you make. Of course, that's how life goes. Um, but, but I, but I, but I, yeah. So, but, but, but I, but I, I, I think that um, just constantly trying to over this time, trying to regularly put out new music and trying to regularly write new songs and 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 keep getting that out there to the people who have followed me to date and hoping that they keep telling new people about it and having new people come to the shows. Like I've been a very slow burn, slow climb guy. And I've, that's always been kind of my expectation. I, I never expected anything meteoric. Uh, I think if you're sitting around expecting that, you should alter your expectations. <laughs> well, and be careful what you wish for too, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but I'm also, I also live by the mantra, the faster you rise, the faster you fall, because I've yeah. never seen that disproved. Um, so my, 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 my slow burn, slow build thing um, has always been, been my goal. And that, that kind of links back to your question of, you know, have I, have I done a lot of this on my own? And, and you know, I, I have definitely steered the ship for the most part um, with that mantra in mind, you know, slow and steady. And and that's that's kind of you know dovetails into a little bit about my next question about like you know uh, this summer I followed you on on Twitter um, you know your summer tours you were man you, you covered a lot of ground there must have been a lot of a uh, lot of Red Bulls and and long nights behind uh, the wheels of different vehicles uh-huh. but but like coming out of COVID this is like you were kind of on the leading edge of that like I don't know how much of that was happening you were doing these you know socially conscious distanced backyard shows and getting your music out to people and and you were in some places that i was like huh jeffrey straker has a has enough people in whatever some little town in the interior of bc that that it made sense for him to go out there in in the summer of 2021 and and i think that speaks to that slow burn mentality that you're talking about and and i just curious to see kind of what that summer tour that the genesis of it and then the logistics and then pulling it off like was that kind of one of those things where you're going to look back now that it's kind of behind you and go, wow, that was a feat of modern engineering. Or are you like, no, that's what I do for a living. You know, it's, it's kind of the latter actually. Like, but I mean, also uh, it, it's what I do for it. Like what I did this summer, it, it was 55 shows between June 12th and September 12th um, in mostly in backyards in, in a couple parks. But I mean, it's actually the busy, busiest summer I've had since I started doing music. Um, now, these were these weren't festivals, let's be clear. These were these were small shows. But still, the idea that I could do 55 of them still kind of shocks me looking back at the summer. And I mean, it was great. I got to connect with all these music lovers. Um, people, a lot of the people I got to make music for were having their first concert in 18 months. Right. Um, you know, so like I felt spoiled. And I mean, they spoiled me to bits. I, I had more homemade pies and, and, and cheesecakes than I could shake a stick at. Yeah. Um, but the way it came about, and this is a testament to the, uh, the I guess, to the the kinds of like the, the, the loyalty of some of the, the the music followers that I have, fans, if we if we call them that. But back in January, I threw it out on Facebook with, with one post and a, and a quick blast out to my email list. I was like, hey, I think this summer I'm going <clears> to <throat> do a tour of Backyards. Um, like house concerts, but in backyards, so we're all safe. Anybody interested? And like, I was flooded with requests, you know, like it was really wonderful. So my job was then to like line these up into some kind of logical, logistical sequence, you know, and um, that that was, you know, tricky, not impossible. And um, and then as the tour went along, it more shows added on and it was it was really wonderful. But but the the thing I don't lose sight of and all that, like, is that I saw through the winter when we couldn't go outside, obviously, because COVID was cuckoo and it was too cold. Um, people were, fans of mine were tuning into my live streams and they were donating, like there was a donate button and they were donating a lot of money. And and they were doing it. <clears throat> I know why they're doing it. Some of them told me this, like they're doing it because they knew they were paying my bills. They knew I had no income and they were looking after me. Like it was humbling and beautiful. And so then fast forward to this summer, the reason a lot of the people's booked these shows, like they're for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but like they feel this crazy attachment to my music. This I should say beautiful attachment to my music. And they want that. They want to share it with people who know it. They want to share it with new people. And like they kind of did this on they did this on their own. Like they did this out of the goodness of their own hearts. And I I will not ever lose sight of that. Like I am I am so indebted to so many people. It's it's a little bonkers to think about. Well, and that's one positive thing that that comes out of something like this. And it's not something that fell in your lap. Like you went out there and were, were actively 
in the world looking for something good and it came back to you. And that's kind of the, the mantra that I live by is, is if you put something positive out there, the, the positive vibe will come back to you. It's just a matter of putting yourself out there to do it. And that, you know, you could have had crickets after that email went out yeah. and you're like, okay, I guess, uh, I guess I'll apply, you know, to parks Canada and see if I can get a job at Banff for the summer because I'm exactly. not going to be playing music. Right. And, yeah. Um, and, and it's, and it's important, I, I think, um, that you kind of let your fans know that, okay, this, this pandemic isn't going to, stop us we're going to figure out a way to do this and, and here's an idea i have and uh you know i'm i'm noticing doing some some uh research on you that that you did release like a music video and, a, and like i guess for lack of a better term a single a standalone single this summer yeah well actually what happened what i mean i released a record a full-length record in rec- okay. recording in may um and then and leading up to that, like the record was actually ready the previous May. And then that silly pandemic came along and I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to give this a few months. This pandemic will blow away. Then I'll release the record. But then it didn't go away. And so I just kept releasing singles off the record. So by May, I was like, let's just release this thing now because I'd released five singles. So then the, then the full record came out in May and it was perfect timing for the summer tour to come along to get to sing these new songs, even though they were small shows, but to get to sing these new songs. Yeah. That was great. And then so the song I made, I released the video for this summer is a song from that record. The record's called Just Before Sunrise, and the song is Ready to Be Brave, I think that you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and so was that video on the shelf for that length of time, too? Or did did that all, when you realized you were going to put this album out and then you had released some singles, uh, was Ready to Be Brave, I guess, the first single that was ever going to be slated? And then it just came out in that order? Or how does that work when when you have this piece of art sitting in your lap for a year? That's a it's a good question. I mean, and then and the the whole like there's never been a handbook on how to release a record, but there certainly have been norms and you know and and things that have sort of been like um, sort of the most the most sort uh, frequently practiced ways to release a record. Those literally all went out the window with COVID. Like nothing, all of a sudden, nothing we'd done before could be, should be done again. There was no reason. Because the reason everything in the past was like, release re- release one, maybe two singles, release the record, do a national tour, you know, re- release a video, like blah, blah, whatever. And then when you can't do your national tour, well, then what? Because that's where 80, about 80% of your income comes from. So, um, so the record was ready. The video was not. And in fact, I didn't even have a, a, a full, like, full official music video ready. Never mind had, had I even chosen the song that it would be for. And then I, I the more I thought about it, that the, the song Ready to be Brave was resonating with a lot of people in my online Facebook live shows. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I should do something with this song. And I, and, I, and I cold called this director in Saskatoon, Dylan Hershuk, who's this really sort of creative wonder um I almost called him a genius. I should call him a genius. Like I shouldn't edit that. He's he's so good. Um, yeah. And he had this great vision for how we could bring this song to life. And so we just we made that video in the summer, like you know, and then released it in short order. So we crammed it in between shows. Oh wow! So that's uh, like from kind of the seed, the spark, Ember to Inferno. That's a pretty short time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And and so and then and then and then luckily, like you know, you you make videos and just like a record, you release it and hope that the songs resonate. And the video really did land really well, and it got you know got some good attention and got some good listens and got some good comments and views. It, I mean, it has an LGBTQ theme to it in the way we chose to bring the song to life. So of course, it naturally had a few haters because I don't know if you know this, but there's some homophobes out there. <laughs> So, I've I've heard yes yeah so but you know not to be it certainly was not unexpected right but but like ninety nine percent of the comments and, and and the and the feedback was really good so I, I'm quite delighted with it and most importantly I think the video is just beautiful I think I honestly look at it and I'm like it's just beautiful and I'm not in it so I can say that like it's the first time I've ever not been in one of my videos it's a cast of all Saskatchewan talent acting and they tell such a story. Well, that's the the kind of um, my remark was visually it's stunning and it's not like shot crystal clear. There's a lot of dust. There's yeah. a lot of sepia tones and it's like you got to watch it, but it's visually stunning. And and it's a story like it yeah. is absolutely um, the about three years ago, probably a co-worker kind of turned me on to Sturgill Simpson. 
Oh yeah. Uh, who, who I'd never heard of. Um, but when I looked him up, he had he was selling two shirts at his concerts. One said Sturgill sold out, and the other one said, "Who the fuck is Sturgill Simpsons?" Those are the two <laughs> people that were coming to his concerts, right? And uh, so, anyways, I thought he was clever and funny, and and I I got dug right into him. And man, he he could he could talk about a, a full ashtray and an empty beer can and write a song about how they both became that way that would enthrall you in four minutes. And I was yeah. just like the ability to tell stories through their art like that. That's way better than, you know, girls, girls, girls. I can't <laughs> believe I sang that, up, but you know what I'm saying, right? I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's really cool. I, I, you know, I was going through, and I, I mentioned that I, I uh, sat down, I was fortunate enough to sit down with Donnie Peronto earlier in the summer and, and he was doing the same thing. He was, he was trying to figure out how to do the, have something new coming out during the pandemic so that people, you know, when, when it gets back, there's a reason for people to engage with them. Um, yeah. and when, when you can start to do it. And I, so I was looking at dates specifically with some of your stuff and I was like, man, you actually did a, a really good job of keeping things moving throughout the pandemic. I guess it helps that you, you had an album kind of in the can around the time the, the pandemic started, but it it was yeah I mean it it did kind of I mean I wish I could say there was some grand design to it but it certainly fell into place. Um, th there's an interesting thing that 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 happened to me along the way too with these summer shows and you know as people are buying in terms of merch people are buying obviously fewer CDs and and these days and of course uh, some are buying vinyl but that's not made up for the lack of CD sales. I sell both at my shows and I have T-shirts of course too. Um, but. I partnered up with a coffee roastery from Outlook, Saskatchewan called the Prairie Bean Roastery. And they're a really quickly growing, awesome, thriving roastery. And um, he made a roast for me. My record's called Just Before Sunrise. So he made me a Just Before Sunrise roast, uh, oh. coffee roast. So a pound of coffee, uh, ground or beans. And I started selling, selling those on my merch table. And honest to God, like huge eye opener. Like I, I sold so much coffee this summer, I could be a coffee merchant like it's crazy and i and what I, my big realization was is that there's no mystery to this merch business like some a few people will buy a cd a few people will buy a vinyl but a few people will buy a t-shirt but if you put something on that merch table that everyone will consume they're gonna buy it like it was i was like ah, wh why did it take me 16 years to figure this out <laughs> come on you you came from a marketing background jeffrey this you should have this should have been the first thing i i kicked myself for days when i saw <laughs> when i first sold the coffee and i saw who it was selling i was like why has this been over yeah. a decade for me to figure out but anyway so that was that was an interesting discovery too the, like the coffee guy he's like i can't believe you're ordering more <laughs> it's like i know it's great so that's great um that's Couple, couple quick things I, I just want to touch on. Um, your involvement in Telemiracle. Uh, talk about that. As a Saskatchewan guy, I appeared on Telemiracle when I was in about grade 11 or 10, 10 or 11. Um, what did you a, do? A, uh, we presented a check, I believe, on behalf of the Minor Hockey Club. We'd done some, we'd done some uh, fundraising for, for Telemiracle. I can't remember exactly. Okay. Uh, I stood backstage and... Um, Bob from Sesame Street that used to be on it all the time. Bob McGrath, is that his name? Yeah. He, I met him. Uh, yeah. uh, interesting, interesting part of your life when you're a little bit older and kind of out of that loop. And then you see somebody who you grew up with and you're all of a sudden you're just a little kid again. But uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's, a, but he's, it, a, he's a he's a he's a gem. Yeah, but it's it's just really interesting. And, and I just any chance I can to get the awareness up on on Telemiracle and, and kind of what you what your involvement is and then you know just it's the kinsman cadets and, and raising money for all the different things that that need raising for in saskatchewan i've been a host and performer on telemiracle for 10 years now and um i skipped one year because I, I i there's there was a thing i was doing in um latin america but but it's been a decade and i i, I had a funny thing happen where that one of the former producers uh, who I saw not long ago, showed me this package, like this horrible promotion package that I sent to him like 15 years ago trying to pitch myself to the show. And he's like, look what, look what I found on the bottom of my filing cabinet, <laughs> which he obviously didn't respond to because it was so terrible. Anyway, ultimately they phoned me 10 years ago and were like, would you like to be part of this? And I and I get, I sort of said, yeah, let's try this for a year. And I, I in year one, in the first hour, I drank the Kool-Aid, which, which I mean, it's a good Kool-Aid. And when you are on that stage, and the cameras start rolling, and the curtain goes up, and the sass talent starts singing, and the phones start ringing, and you have this realization that all of a sudden, you're like, for the next 20 hours, these people from across this province are gonna phone in and give away their money 
because they care, because they know they're helping someone in Saskatchewan. Like, I I literally vibrate for 20 hours. So I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever been part of. Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's just, it's so beautiful, Gord. It's unbelievable. And I, so I, I drank the Kool-Aid immediately and, you know, I've been drinking it since. And, and I'm a, I'm a really outspoken advocate of the, of the, the telethon because the telethon in 20 hours raises on average kind of between five to six and a half million dollars, which then goes to the, te- the, the Kinsman Foundation. And then people apply to the Kinsman Foundation to access this, this, this money to help of them afford medically related travel or, or medical devices. And it's all stuff that, you know, although we have beautiful public um, health care, public funded health care, this is all stuff that slips through the cracks. And so, so while you can get a heart transplant in Edmonton, how the heck do you get there? You know, like, yeah. and so, you know, how do you, if you, if you have, you know, if you have a, 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 a debilitating a, a, a accident and you need lifts, like, Great, you can get the surgery for the for the to to to, to fix you as the, the person. The mechanics of it aren't covered anywhere, and it, it's expensive. And so this stuff changes lives, and to be part of that is just like it's it's humbling and wonderful. Yeah, and that's that's why I wanted to mention it because first to give to thank you for your for helping because it's people like you that that make it. People want to tune in and and then to get the word out because I just think it's such a, a crazy. Saskatchewan centric thing that is that people need to be aware of. It's it's out there. It works. I don't know how many years it's got to be pushing 30 years. They've been doing it. 47, 47. So yeah, way, way missed on that, but it's just, it's incredible. And I just wanted to make sure that every opportunity I get to mention it, um, I take it. Uh, and then one other thing that I wanted to ask about, um, and I just, I know this because of our personal connection, you do have your sister involved somewhat with your, with your career, um, can you just give me a, a little quick kind of what that means to, to be able to stand up with your sister and, and perform and, and see her, you know, get that same kind of enjoyment out of it that you do? It's lovely. So Jill is a, is a really gift. My sister is a really gifted harmony singer. And we've been singing together like around the piano in the farmhouse, like, you know, now for, you know, decades. And so the beauty of that is that having sung harmony so long and being siblings. First of all, when siblings sing harmony, there's a really weird thing that happens because we are, our, our vocal cords vibrate at, at a, in a certain way that it it really just works. And sibling harmony is kind of this undeniable harmony and people, it's very difficult to explain, but people, when they hear it, they know it and they love it. So having, mm-hmm. being able to sing with your sibling is beautiful, but beyond the mechanics of it, because we've done it so long, she and I can interpret each other's phrasing to keep it matched up really perfectly because we just know how each other are going to do it. Like, it's almost like this weird sort of twin thing, even though we're not twins. And so we, and we, and we enjoy each other's ridiculous senses of humor and uh, just like traveling with each other. The reality, the sad reality is she she has a full-time job and a a wonderful daughter and she can't do it with me near as much as she used to. So she sings with me far less frequently, but every now and then we can, there's a couple shows coming up at the basement in Saskatoon where she'll sing with me. And there's a few more later that she, te- she tends to do the big ones where the audience are really big and yeah. she ignores the small ones. <laughs> well, but that's like, and that's part of it. Part of this whole journey in your second act is getting to share moments like that with, with Jill, right? Like you can look across and, and if you were still a marketing exec, you could have all the titles in the world on that business card. You're not sitting in you know the basement in saskatoon singing the song that you wrote with your sister's harmonies in mind and performing it to 10 or 100 people that part of it is completely irrelevant it's you guys up there doing it and then like you say you in that instant you're back to the farmhouse in punishai or you're at grandpa buck's place in carrot river at christmas that year or whatever you're doing yeah and and that's why you did the second act ultimately right it's It's very very true and and there's some there's some pinch me moments along the way I like that like I I do some of my some of my music has been orchestrated and, and I do shows with some symphony orchestras so there you are at a grand piano with this big orchestra behind you and then Jill at the end of the piano singing harmonies and like those moments you're just you're like sometimes when it's happening and everything's working and the orchestra sounds great and the audience is you know clapping like you're like how did this happen like, like yeah. it's, just, it's it's really weird you know? yeah no doubt how the hell did we get here but but you just enjoy it, you know. So the the last thing I have to ask you about, or I wanted to ask you about is, you know, we're, we're probably about the same age. Um, so we, you know, growing up, we had the same kind of people 
in our lives on TV as a part of it. Um, what was it like when Fred Penner played on one of your songs? Like that had to have been just about the craziest thing. Cause I remember Fred Penner when I was a kid. It was, um, it was pretty crazy. It was uh, my record uh, Vagabond that I recorded in 2013. And I made that record with Danny Michelle, who's a really wonderful folk, like I'll call him folk singer, songwriter and producer. And he made the record. And, uh, and on my song Birch Park Canoe, it needed a harmonica. And I just like kind of, I think I just like harassed him. <laughs> like, relentlessly and i don't think he could say no i'm sure he was like who the hell is this anyway he, he agreed to do he, he said he, he you know i think in, in all honesty i think we we had met somewhere and uh you know what it, it might even have been at telemiracle now that i think about it anyway we'd met somewhere and he said sure i'll do it i'll do it and i mean and he played this harmonic part and it was wonderful and we actually like we really hit it off and got to know each other quite well um but it was it was pretty cool it was it, it was it was very much like sharing a dressing room for several years at Teller Merkel with Bob McGrath like that like those are kind of on par because it's like these people who you'd turn on the TV and like look up to and then you're then he's playing the harmonica and then this guy's like you know <laughs> taking his pants off it's like, well, yeah yeah and he, yeah exactly he's Fred Penner's looking at you and saying is that is that what you're thinking and you're just like well you're Fred Penner and Bob McGrath is like do you mind and yes yeah, like sir please feel free to change it's, it's your dressing so room <laughs> that's funny um so i typically like to leave off kind of you know we've, we've kind of gone the gamut from you know where you started kind of how you thought it was going to go you, how you realized it wasn't going exactly or it could be going better or or in your case you had this kind of if that's the finish line i'm going to take my time getting there i'm going to figure out what i'm going to do um so so what is success today for Jeffrey versus maybe what you thought it was going to be when you were done high school, when you were done college, when you were working at, at P&G in Toronto, what does it look like today? Well, I'll tell you this through a little bit of a story. And those who know me know I, I'm prone to a story. And so I visited just before the pandemic, I visited uh, a friend's grandmother in Stouffville, Ontario, in her lodge. And she was in her 90s and she was a career piano player. And she was always interested in what I'm doing because I'm a career piano player. And like she played in Legion Halls and for dances and all that stuff. And there she is standing on her balcony in her 90s in her house coat, smoking a cigarette. And she's like, and I'm, and I'm telling her, I'm like, you know, so grandma, like, all I wanted to do when I started this was to have this be my full-time work. And, you know, I've got, and she's like, what's going on right now? And I said, well, I've got a tour. I've got a new, I'm working on a new record. I've got a single out. There's a video. I've got a booking with an orchestra. I said, you know, I said like, this is my, it's been my full-time work for 15 years. I said, like, it's like the dreams come true. And she took a drag on her cigarette and looked at me and said, sounds like it's time to get a new dream. <laughs> <laughs> And so grandma was right, which is my my sights have shifted over time. And at first I didn't know what success was like literally if my first year was like if I can make enough money to lot to not live in a fridge box behind the Cornwall Center, that's success. Right. Yeah. And that then that happened. I was like, well, OK, then like maybe having 50 shows a year is success. And then that happened. And I said, well, maybe 100 shows a year is success. Then that happened. And what I, I think if I, if I were to boil this down, because I kind of lose sight of where my success radar is at, I think right now it's probably at keep growing my, my, my listenership and my audience slowly over time. I'm, 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 I really stick to that slow and steady mantra. Um, constantly check my happiness and make sure that I'm happy because that's part of success. And um, keep saying, keep saying what needs to be said. Like I, I'm really about the message, and my songs have really, like, they're they're story, they're story songs, they're they're folk rooted songs that tell stories, and uh, keep communicating things that I think are important. And uh, I think if I can do that, keep growing my audience, keep being happy, and keep you know creating work that I think is important, I think I think that's success. And honestly, I'm being honest, money has nothing to do with any of it. Well, that was sure a lot of fun, and I, I told you guys at the beginning that uh, Jeffrey was his story, um, how engaging he is, how how gracious he is, the the you know the different things he's done, and and what he walked away from. You know, he he didn't take it lightly. He knew that that it was uh, a, a dream gig for a lot of people, and and that he was good at it, and he could have kept doing it, and it wasn't going to make him happy, and it wasn't going to find him. He wasn't going to find himself fulfilled at the end of it. And he chased uh, the the singer songwriter 
uh, mantle and uh, if you've done any kind of looking around at him he he's successful as far as uh, Canadian singer songwriters go he's right in in the upper echelon of, of the active ones today he's got a great message uh, I think the end there is he summed it right up you know it, it's not about money it's about happiness and as long as there's a roof over your head and, and some uh, baloney in the fridge you know the rest of it will look after itself been really blessed with a run of guests here on the the second act podcast over the last little while uh, lots of feedback from stephanie rosari's uh the four harsh harsh truths about depression and that one was uh that one was really good if you're if you haven't missed it or haven't caught that one uh, definitely go back i think that was episode 20 um greg german uh last week i believe uh his his story had a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns and people um people reached out to say what what an incredible story and, and th- that's why we're doing this is so that all these people out there that you walk by on the street and you can see just what people are going through the things that they're capable of and what you're capable of if, if that's what you want to do so again rate subscribe like do all the things that you do uh interact with us we we loved it love to hear it we can't wait to to see the comments on it weekly as as we release these um as we release these episodes and, you know, it's like we say at the end of everyone, there's uh, no test at the end and there's no wrong answers, so make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening.